Every single employee in my company, 35 of them, took a 50% or more pay cut and several more deferred compensation if their spouse was making enough, whatever. And that happened because of vulnerability. From that point on, um, I, I realized that's when I first learned the power of just like throwing it out there. Let's be let's be real here. Let's let's call crap crap. You know, let's let's put it on the table and real and, and just concede that we don't have it all figured out. Let's throw it out there. Let's be real. Vulnerability is a punch to the gut. But like my guest Jay Wilkinson, the founder and CEO of Firespring, discovered after being fired by his own board members. It's those who hold true to their values and roll with the punches that will inherit long-term success. Welcome, everyone, to The Leaders Podcast, your number one source for impact leaders harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet, people, and profits. And before we begin, folks, throughout the new year, we will be bringing you more award-winning CEOs, so make sure to subscribe right now and be notified of their release. The Relators Impact Awards edition was just sent to the press people. And let me tell you, you want to learn about impact, you want to learn about vulnerability, pick up that magazine. And for lucky listeners today, you're going to get 25% off that magazine when you use coupon code PODCAST25 at checkout. Just going to throw that out there. PODCAST25. All right, folks. We threw it out there. Now it's time to get real with the one and only Jay Wilkinson. Enjoy. All right, Jay, we'll get started here. In five, four, three, two, one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Relators Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today from Lincoln, Nebraska, is Jay Wilkinson, the founder and CEO of Firespring. Jay, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Kevin. It's great to share space with you today. So Lincoln, Nebraska, we've got Omaha, Nebraska. Where else is Firespring located? We have uh, uh, employees that, that live and work all over the United States, uh, okay. yeah, but uh, our, our offices, our facilities are in Lincoln, Omaha, and then also in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Okay, right on. Midwest. We love it. Midwest. It's we, funny. We refer to it as the middle of everywhere out here. The middle of everywhere. Nice. I've never been. I've always wanted to go. I've got a lot of buddies down there. But every time, I was going to say, every single time I, I see Lincoln or I see especially the word Omaha, I always think of like Peyton Manning's like Audible check, like Omaha. <laughs> so, Jay, the first uh, first question I have for you today is what Audibles and what career Audibles led up to the founding of Firespring? Well... I knew from a very young age, I knew that I was an entrepreneur. So all that means is that I'm otherwise unemployable and for for many more of a curse than a blessing. Uh, But I knew that I was an entrepreneur and I was exposed to um, a leadership workshop when I was 15 years old. I got invited to go, well, I got elected to my student council, which was a big deal, you know, back in 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 the 10th grade. And, but in order to serve on the council, they, they told me I had to go to leadership class. And I, so uh, I ended up doing this summer workshop and it changed my life. Um, so I've always known from the very beginning that, um, that I wanted to build a company that was built on the foundation of kindness and empathy and gratitude. And these things that I learned when I was 15 years old at this leadership camp about how to be a servant leader, but I didn't really know what it was going to be. So I don't even, uh, I, I, I don't know that I've counted, but somewhere along the, the way I've created 20 different companies, um, most of which failed miserable fiery deaths and, you know, had to be put down. Um, a couple of which, you know, limped along and I sold or, you know, transitioned out one way or the other. But I've had so many different audibles and career um, trajectories and directions before I finally settled on Firespring. But I ultimately... Uh, chose Firespring because it gives me the ability to um, to really exercise creative chops. We're an agency that that works primarily with purpose-driven companies. So we get to work every day with people that um, that have this deep innate sense of caring about what it is that they do and how they do it. Um, they don't always know how to translate that into building a company a high-performing culture. They don't always know uh, even more so how to build uh, 
advertising and marketing programs that, that highlight that. And so as an agency that helps companies from the outside in with their marketing and also helps them from the inside out by getting alignment around, around culture and engagement, um, it's kind of the best of both worlds. So that's where my path settled and, and where I, where I'm in for the long haul. I love it. So Jay, you started out in this 10th grade workshop. You said empathy, uh, kindness, empathy, and gratitude were some of those core values that you learned. Yes. Now, did those manifest in every single business that you tried to start or are there any common uh, core values uh, throughout those 20s some odd businesses yeah. um, that you've been able to, to create? So at the, at, yes, they've been present at every step along my journey. Um, the, the, the foundation of, of my sentiment around, um, around values was seated again at this leadership workshop. I've been, by the way, I've been volunteering for this workshop. It's called Launch Leadership. And I've been going back, leading my own group of 12 students through the process of self-discovery and learning the skills of servant leadership for my entire adult life. More than 30 years, I go back every summer and lead my own group. But there was a, a sign that hung in the wall or that hung on the wall of the little classroom that my group assembled in every day while I was there for four days at this workshop. It's a Stephen Grillet quote, and it says, I expect to pass this wave at once. Any good, therefore, that I can do or any kindness I can show, let me do it now. Let me not defer or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. And I took that little sign, and it's literally been, it's, it's actually uh, above my monitor right here in my office. It's been on the wall in my office my entire professional life. But that that foundation of, of instilling kindness and, and, and the lessons I learned just to go back to my high school and make changes when I, you know, when I was going into the 11th grade, some buddies and I pulled together uh, some tables. We hung a little sign above the table that said the all people are welcome table. And as students would come out of the cafeteria first week of class, not knowing where to sit, we would go over and say, hey, why don't you come sit with us? We've got a, like, and this is an all people welcome table. The only rule is they had to take the next seat so they couldn't go sit uh. somewhere else. So by the end of the school year, half of the entire cafeteria, th th that section had expanded and it became like a, a thing for our school. And it was a tiny, tiny little thing, you know, something so simple, but it, it impacted a lot of lives. And but it's that, it's laying that foundation of simple, tiny little things that we all can do as humans to, um, to, to draw people into a world where kindness and, and empathy and gratitude um, are at the center of, of our decision making. Jay, that's a great quality of a leader, bringing people together to maybe have a different discussions and include them uh, when, they, when they might not feel like they are being included. Uh, in terms of uh, your leadership experience and, and the lessons you've had to learn, I'm sure some have been uh, learned the hard way. Uh, what's one leadership lesson that sticks out to you that's been the most difficult to learn? I, I think one of the most difficult, you know, I think um, the importance of being vulnerable um, and not just using the language of vulnerability, but but the actions of vulnerability are really key in my in my journey and my because I've never been great at it because I always want to be right and you know I've always had a sense of wanting to be liked mm -hmm. um, and I and there are times that I have to get over you know my own insecurities about who I am or what I am in order to be an effective leader. Um, but as we go down and as I think about that and cascading into the rabbit hole of vulnerability, the one thing in particular that um, that I'm continually trying, I, I have to remind myself constantly um, is that there is a there is a, a difference between in intent and impact. There's so many times in my life when I've said something or haven't said something or did something or didn't do something or whatever that that stung someone or created an impact uh, that, that was unintended, you know, like they were hurt by uh, uh, something that had been done or said, um, including with my children and my wife and, and, you know, in my personal relationships and in my brain, I always rationalize that, well, that wasn't my intent. You know, I didn't mean, I didn't do that on purpose. Um, but I had to uh, remove myself from that, that, intent and really focus on, well, the impact of it is real. You know, this person uh, feels like, um, you know, whatever that I did or said has impacted them in this way. So I had to honor the impact 
and then come back later and deal with um, the, 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 the misconstrued intent that, you know, that might have caused it without just immediately jumping into, I didn't do that. You know, that wasn't intentional. You know, mm. it, it was, it's something that we as kids and in our relationships, it's such an important thing to learn that um, in, intent does not always equal impact and knowing when you need to um, be vulnerable enough to come into that space and honor the impact first and then come back later and deal with the intent. I'm still working on that. That's why when you ask the question, it's, it's, it's something that I'm actively really working on right now. No, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Uh, so I was, I was thinking, Jay, you know, it's really difficult to, as a leader, uh, to please anybody, uh, or please everybody. Sorry, excuse me. Um, so I, I guess the question is, uh, you just mentioned your, your family and being a leader, uh, you know, at home and at the office. Is this something that you can turn off or is this something that, uh, you know, you feel like can manifest both in the work and at home leadership qualities? Oh, I think, oh gosh, you know, one of the things um, I had the opportunity several years ago, maybe a decade or more um, to go in and work with companies and I would, I would, I was in this phase when I was really trying to get to know the people um, that that I was helping and, and helping consult in their in their organization. And so I would go in and I'd work with these people at work, and I'd see these dynamic, engaging, visionary leaders lead their teams of people at work. And with many of them, um, I'd been invited to come stay, like in the guest room in their home or, or something. And so I'd come into their house and I'd see that you know their kids don't even talk to them, and they. Um, that, you know, you could sense the dysfunction in the marriage or whatever. And I, I remember just really thinking how weird that was to me that you can be such this dynamic, engaging leader in a business sense, and then not carry that through into your relationships, into your home life. I think it's an all in thing. Um, I, 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 because people, especially in today's world, um, we live in glass houses, you know, there's all this stuff out in the world. Um, between Yelp and all the reviews and Glassdoor for for companies that people can go online and they can they can say whatever the heck they want. We can't hide. You can't say you're one thing and then do another. It's just not possible in today's world. So I think that uh, I think that if you learn innately the skills of leadership and you you know how to how how to treat people properly and, and you, you know, expressing gratitude and being vulnerable and exhibiting empathy in those relationships that carries forward into all aspects of life, not just a business versus home life thing. Jay, you mentioned that when you went into that household, you sensed something and maybe you yeah. relayed that information back to that, the client you were helping out. How often do you uh, look out for outside help? Uh, and and this, is there a benefit of of listening to others that are outside your organization? I, I think it's it's well. There are a couple things on that. I think we need to be careful about. Um, you know, Brene Brown writes and talks a lot about you know uh, that she doesn't take criticism from people who aren't in the arena themselves. You know, that aren't putting themselves out into the world. Um, and, and exposing their vulnerability, essentially. Um, uh, she talks a lot about that and I, I agree with that. So you don't, I, I don't believe that it's necessary or it's, uh, it's even wise to just be, um, to say, I'm gonna take what everybody in the world tells me um, and like, and insert that into the fundamental aspect of how I, you know, how I behave and, and, and how, I, how I see myself. Because if we did that, again, trolls on social media, other things that the, the people that are out here trying to lead and put themselves out there um, are exposing themselves. You know, they're, they're, um, they're putting themselves out to be either attacked, admired or whatever, somewhere in between. So I think you have to be careful about who you're willing to take that input from. But once, once you've gained and established a trusted relationship, I know with my own leadership team here at Firespring, we spend a lot of time um, uh, really shining the light um, on, um, on, on, on the things that maybe we don't see ourselves. Um, there's the old principles of the Joe Harry window. You know, there are the things that are known to us that we see, and there are things that are, are really not known to us that others see, but we don't see about ourselves. You know, somebody puts a kick me stick, you know, thing on the back. We don't know that it's there, but everybody that walks by sees it, for example. Um, we need to be open to, 
to, to learning and, and, and to hearing what others have to say, but we need to do that um, in, in the environment where we've established trust and respect and, and rapport with people, um, not just to take it blanket from everyone you come across in the street or anyone who might be throwing grenades your way on social media or anywhere else. So I, I, we're very intentional. I'm very intentional with our own leadership team about um, facilitating opportunities for every manager and every member of our, of our, of our organization to be open-minded to, to taking that constructive input on how they can become better, how they can evolve as a human. It's so critically important, mm. but it has to be done in an environment of trust where people know that um, I, I have your back. I'm doing this because I care about you, not because I don't care about you and just want to take you down. It, w- without that trust and respect, it's really hard to facilitate those kind of discussions. Uh, you mentioned uh, this glass house, this glass door, uh, transparency being such a big trend nowadays. Like you said, everyone reviewing, being their own critic in the company or wanting to show people what they are working on in their own organizations, in their own homes, in their own mm-hmm. classrooms. How has transparency impacted your business? And uh, are you doing anything in your company to measure that? I know a lot of certified B corporations have to be somewhat transparent about what they do. Um, how has transparency impacted uh, Firespring? Well, I, I, it, it fundamentally, uh, uh, it was the cause of what, what created Firespring's culture in the first place. and just. Uh, I'll very quickly, um, it's, it, uh, it, because it could be a potentially lo- longer story, but I'll tell this really quickly. Um, in 2001, I was actually fired as the CEO of Firespring, my own company. I owned the majority of the company. My board, um, I stupidly had weighed four to three um, the investors that I had taken on and given them essentially control. And they, um, we, uh, we had a catastrophic financial event happen. They wanted me to essentially uh, cut my entire, or 80% of the people that worked in the company. They wanted me to lay people off. And I like refused to do it. I dug my heels in and wouldn't do it. Um, and they, they fired me as the CEO of my own company. I brought all of the people together in our company. There were about 35 of us at the time. And they came up with the idea collectively that, well, let's just like all of us take it. They ended up taking a pay cut. Every single employee in my company, 35 of them, took a 50% or more pay cut and several more deferred compensation if their spouse was making enough, whatever. And that happened because of vulnerability. From that point on, um, I, I realized that's when I first learned the power of just like throwing it out there. Let's be let's be real here. Let's let's call crap crap. You know, mm-hmm. let's let's put it on the table and really and, and just concede that we don't have it all figured out. Mm. Um, we never will have it all figured out. We're learning something every day. We've got to just find a better way every day. That's all we need to do every day. Find a better way than we were doing it yesterday. Um, and and that that mentality seeped into our organization. We recovered from that. In, within two years, I bought those investors out so that they were that they were gone. Uh, we were wildly profitable, and everybody got their money back. And you know, long story short, we're we're flourishing as a company today. But from that point on, we became transparent about everything. Mm. Uh, show the warts and get them out there as quickly as possible, and just be straightforward with this is where we are, and we need to work together to figure out how to how to how to rise above and accomplish this. So when we became a B Corp, we already had a you know, powerful spirit of transparency and vulnerability built into our culture. Mm. And it was just a natural, uh, a natural segue for us to say, well, let's put a name on this. Let's call it, let's apply for B Corp status. So this, this mindset of um, vulnerability, transparency, when your company took a hit, Everyone, every employee said, we're going to take ownership of this and take, if I, if I have to, take a pay cut to make yeah. this company work. Wow, incredible. That uh, came, and it came from them. I thought, I thought, I said, you guys, you know, you don't want to do this. I mean, how can you? Yeah. They insisted. And, and it was really because everything was on the table. Um, profit loss statements and everything. I mean, they, they, they knew exactly where we stood and just knowing, not just saying, you know, we care about your opinion, but actually caring about their opinion and, and, and everyone having a voice. And that, that has, has 
really propagated forward into the way we run our company today. Every single employee in our company, all 200 of us, um, are part, you know, have uh, bring our issues, our ideas, our opportunities to the table and we talk about them. We don't just encourage them to bring up their ideas and issues and opportunities. We expect that from people. So everybody's part of it. Um, that's so important. And, and Jay, how, how like large is your company? I like, guess it 200 plus? Numbers. Yeah, we have uh, about um, about 200 customers. We have uh, more than 10,000 clients um, in all 50 states and in 14 countries around the world that we work with. Um, and uh, we're we're growing. We we've ebbed and flowed with our with our employee counts because we have um, developed some companies, some ideas that we've uh, like, like as a business incubator inside of our business, mm. and then sold those companies off, or they've gone off and. Um, on, on their own. So we've had like employees that go along with, with them. them. So we've had been flowed in our employee counts over the years and we've done 21 acquisitions um, in the last 15 years, small agencies that we brought into, um, into the fold. So uh, Jay, I had an interesting conversation yesterday with um, a, a company that's regenerating uh, shipping containers into homes, uh, and I, you know, I'd ask them about the recession because if a recession comes again, how, you know, how do you think your company will do with the set principles and strategies you have in place as a certified B corporation? And he thought they'd do pretty pretty well because they haven't experienced one yet. When you experienced a financial hit, it seemed like your organization was able to sustain and weather that storm. Whereas, you know, if someone were to teach you in business school, maybe you should cut those employees and save yeah. some money uh what's different about this organization versus maybe your former companies i think i think that uh the awakening that i had and that we collectively we being you know the other team members in our company at the time collectively had um around um just being real about where we are and and where we aren't and uh it, I, I hadn't had that experience in a business before. I mean, yeah, certainly I, I had been part of a lot of companies that I had started or invested into or whatever over the course of my life where there was a great culture and great people. Um, but I, I can honestly say that I don't believe that any of them, we were ever like that real with one another um, where we, where we were comfortable calling crap, crap when, you know, when we saw it. And again, uh, covering each other's back um, when we when we saw things that that person maybe not be aware of um, in, in a really in a true way um, and, and it happened to us I think really because of uh, the, the circumstance that we found ourselves in mm. I can't say you know with any confidence whatsoever that we would have gotten there had we not had that devastating event happen to us I don't know that I would have figured out how critical and important that was so I'm grateful uh, for um, for the lessons along the way, which is, you know, all, all the failures and the, the, the gut punches that we take in, in our business career. If we look at those as just another lesson and another way to, you know, to learn how to move forward, I think it's really healthy. Jay, how would you define this type of leadership? Would you say it's conscious leadership? Would you say it's just business leadership, impact leadership? Would you say it's just a result of things that just happen to happen because we have great people on our staff? How would you define kind of what your organization went through? Um, yeah, I don't know that I have a, a moniker or a name or if I can put words around the definition of the type of leadership. But if I had to align it with something, it certainly fits into what my concept and view of conscious leadership is um, as it aligns with 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 the the conscious capitalism principles and the triple bottom line and all the aspects mm. of, of, of what uh, you know uh, Raj and John Mackey and others that, that created the the doctrine of conscious capitalism had in mind I, I, I certainly think that it follows um, that model and um, and and it's it's just uh, Again, it's an inclusive. Maybe it's inclusive is the word um, that that best suits the the brand of leadership. Where um, it's not it's not intended to ever be about a leader and followers. It's about intended to be um, you know instilling vision into a scenario, situation, or a growth, and and letting the people fill that vision um, collectively and together. Um, because everybody wants to be part of something that's bigger than themselves. There's no human that doesn't. 
want to be part of something. And that's what good leaders create. And then people listening to this podcast right now, they probably want to be a part of Fire Springs too. And they're saying, Kevin, why haven't you even talked about the company yet? Well, uh, just for people listening out there, uh, I'm just going to read off really quick. Uh, Fire Springs, the go-to uh, source for marketing, printing software, and strategic guidance for thousands of businesses and nonprofits all over the world. They do creative marketing, printing, uh, and website strategies for a lot of clients. Um, now, you say in here you help a lot of these organizations, and you already alluded to uh, your staff members taking on and incubating these uh, companies and, and selling them off. They all find their why, they all find their purpose. Why is that the most important thing for an organization to determine first before they take on their, their marketing uh, uh, ordeals? Yeah, you know, I, I, get, I guess I kind of see it in the analogies, you know, there's so many analogies of uh, sports and, and, uh, and the sea and that sort of thing. And in my, in my analogy, it's, it's the rudder. You know, you, um, if you get on a, a big longboard um, that has no um, no stability, no rudder on it whatsoever. Um, you're, you're going to f- find yourself like flying head first into the water time and time again, every time a wave hits. Um, and, and the purpose is what provides, um, the stability, um, when you, when you hit these waves and when you, when you hit obstacles and just understanding and being real about what your why and what your purpose is. And, uh, and I, I believe we, we've gone through activities at Firespring where we lead our team members through, you know, their personal purpose. What is your purpose? Um, not, not, you know, will you align with the company's purpose? But we want to know what is your purpose and, and how can we help you get there? Because, you know, life is, is not all about um, or work, at, work and life are, are not really that separate. I think, you know, everything is, is life. You know, work is life. Um, and so setting clear boundaries as to, um, when we want people to work, like we, like, for example, just to give you an, a, a quick example on that, we, we bang on the drum that we are so different than what a lot of these hustle cultures, um, really embody that we believe in doing your best work and bringing your best a game to the table. You know, one of our core values is bring it every day. But we also don't want people to do that on evenings and weekends incessantly over time where they give most of their life to work. Um, it's, it creates burnout and it creates so much difficulty. We want people to go um, live their lives and go travel and go um, spend time with, in your kid's classroom. You know, be the room dad instead of you know, uh, 30 room moms, 29 room moms and a room dad. So you're there every Tuesday afternoon with your kid in kindergarten. That's the kind of stuff that we preach incessantly to our team to be present in their families' lives. And I think that mindset is really important. Jay, why invest so much in your employees? Um, you know, I, 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 am, I am a believer that, um, that work, you know, it, it fills a large part of our lives and we, we spend the majority of our waking hours at work. You know, we've heard this over and over and over again. Why wouldn't we want the work environment to feed us rather than suck the life out of us. Um, and if you, if we think about um, collectively being able to work together on a common mission where we have set our, you know, G- Jim Collins called it the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal. Uh, Gina Whitman's book in EOS and Traction World, he calls it the 10 year target, whatever it is. But the thing that sets out there um, far enough out that you're always, that you always know where that North star is, that you, this is where we're trying to go. And then having the clarity um, of the three-year, the one-year, the quarterly, the weekly rhythm that leads into that, um, there's there's something really magical about people aligned behind a common goal, behind a common vision, working together. Um, and and if those people feel the depths, you know, in their DNA, they feel like they they're part of this. Why shouldn't they? Uh, reap the rewards of that, and why shouldn't they um, be the ones that are 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 the the ones that are elevated in the way that um, whether it's financial or just the freedom to to be part of their children's lives or to do work that feeds them rather than sucks the life out of them. Um, we, we're, we're huge believers in um, the in the concept of the, the Gallup Strengths Finder, and we want people to work in the areas where their strengths naturally lie. Mm. So they don't have to spend so much of their time kind of bucking against the wind, so to speak. But I, I, 
I, I, I can't even imagine. It's hard for me to imagine businesses and business leaders, although I know there are a lot of them out there who, who don't care about the people that are helping these visions come to fruition, who think of their employees as a number or think of them as just a means to an end and they're replaceable. Um, that whole concept just kind of blows my mind. I don't get it. Um, that's why we pursued uh, becoming a certified B Corporation and why we're um, so involved in supporting this broader movement around elevating the consciousness around using business as a force for good. I think that in 10 years, um, businesses that don't get this, that don't understand, you know, the fact that you would ask that question says that there are a lot of businesses out there that, that don't get it, right? And I think that the businesses that don't get it in 10 years won't be around. I think they're going to go the way of the dinosaur, just like we see the shape shifting that happens in the Inc. 5000 or in the Inc. 500 even every year that the d different companies are coming in and out. I think the companies that don't understand, they have to focus as much on their why as they do on their what and take care of all of the shareholders of the, of the stakeholders of a business, not just the shareholders. Businesses that don't get that will, will be out of business in 10 years. I don't think they're going to survive. It's, it's interesting. I did ask that question because when I speak with people that aren't aware of the certified people corporations and I try to define social entrepreneurship, social enterprises, uh, it's this fear mongering, uh, take away your profits scheme that is going on and they uh, align it with some type of socialistic mentality and it's 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 pretty yeah, yeah it's, it's it's just new I, th I would say for a lot of different yeah. people um, and that, that gets under my crawl because the, the yeah i think that capitalism when it's done right is the answer it's not the the problem because people equate socialism or whatever they they equate cronyism and corporatism and Wall Street capitalism with what's wrong with America. They see Gordon Gecko or all these movies about business people that are evil, and that's that's kind of plugged into the way they think about business. But the reality is, capitalism when the free market decides and people choose what they buy, and and employees choose who they work for. Um, when we figure out and, and, and we, when we can change the tide so that the majority of American businesses consider themselves to be a purpose-driven business instead of only about 10%, when the majority are there, um, capitalism will be the answer. It's not the problem. Um, and, and so I, I, get, I get really frustrated when I hear, um, hear the challenges that especially young people bring to the table around capitalism is evil and uh, you know, whatever. I, I hear this kind of stuff. I have kids, I have a daughter who's 23, who's a huge Bernie Sanders fan, you know, and, um, and having conversation with her about that, there are aspects that he believes and talks about that are really awesome and amazing. There are aspects that um, are, you know, are questionable from a business perspective and you have to juggle and balance all these things. But in her mind, what she hears from Bernie is that capitalism is evil. Right. And so I've had these conversations, you know, with her about this. Well, uh, you said if capitalism is done right, uh, it can really be effective. What do you mean by right? And what do you mean by wrong? Most importantly? Yeah. So again, the wrong kind of capitalism is when, um, I'll, I'll give you just an, 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 an actual example without, without, uh, naming all the players in it, but there's a big company in the state of Nebraska, Cabela's been around forever. Oh, yeah. The family is from a small town, Sydney, Nebraska, um, just up the road from where my family homesteaded back in the 1800s and, oh, and no. where, where I came into Nebraska. But it's it's a it's an amazing company that was founded here on on really great work ethic and all the all all these great things. Um, and then um, a corporate raider essentially came to the table about two years ago um, and sensed that um, uh, there was opportunity, and he basically bought in. I, I, it was less than 10% of, of uh, and this happens all the time uh, as a billionaire, you know, and he comes in and he buys into the stock and then he forced um, the board to consider um, selling the, the, the company. The company was, was incredibly profitable. In fact, it was, it was had more than a billion dollars of annual profits at the time that this happened. It wasn't in peril. It wasn't in financial distress, but this billionaire hedge fund investor came in, bought stock in and kind of forced the board to take action. And it kind of got everybody, you know, in their heads been thinking hmm. they ended up 
um, selling the company out to Bass Pro Shops, it devastated this small town of Sydney, Nebraska, where they had um, something to the tune of, I don't know the exact numbers, but more than 10,000 employees in this small community of about 30,000 people, all of a sudden, um, all of those jobs are gone. Um, they, they offered many people the opportunity to relocate to Texas or other places, but it just completely devastated this community that was thriving. And that's, that's what I refer to as wall street capitalism. You know, that's, that's when you, you have the, the billionaire money come in and, and set the, um, set the stakes and say, this is how it's going to work. And cronyism and corporatism and all these other things where, um, where, uh, we're, we're giving favor to the to the people that are already uh, wealthy and have made it, you know, the one percenters um, and, and not taking adequate care of the people that are making the engine work in the first place. Um, that's what that's the bad part of capitalism. And it certainly exists. Mm. I'm not saying that it doesn't. But corporatism and cronyism and Wall Street capitalism being the problem, um, Main Street capitalism is the way I refer to it, is the answer. It's, it's, the, it's the type of capitalism where we believe that there is a triple bottom line, where there's the economic effect and outcome, but there's also a social and environmental aspect to what we believe in and care about. So when matters come before the decision makers of that company or the board, they take into consideration the way it affects the community, um, the way it affects, you know, the social institutions that they care about that, you know, that feed the ecosystem that their employees live, work and play in and the way that the environment is affected. They think about all aspects, the triple bottom line, not just, again, money in the pockets of the shareholders and be, being the only thing. Is this an I, example? I, that's is, the answer. Yeah. Is this an example between um, or a comparison between maximizing shareholder value versus stakeholder value? For instance, uh, the board decisions that certified B corporations make, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, but the decisions that you make don't have to be off of the board's decision, right? Or the, the shareholders in the company, right? You, as a certified, structured as a certified B corporation, have the right to make your own decisions for stakeholders. Yeah, we make our own decisions for the stakeholders of our company. Okay. So in the instance when the, um, when Firespring first, you, when you alluded to, took that hit, that financial hit, and the board made the decision to vote you out, the owner, the founder of the company, um, w- w- what could that have done to the company, I guess? Like in the long term, were they trying to resort back to, or I guess change the company to, uh, you know, like a C Corp or an S Corp or what were they well, trying to I, do? I, that, that was before we were a B Corp. That oh, was before you were a B Corp? Before, yes, that was oh. long before we became a B Corp, to be clear. Ah. Um, and their intention was to force my hand at um, eliminating the people in the company. But before they were able to do that, we were able to bring them together and come back to the board with a plan to just reduce the labor, which satiated them and uh, and kind of called them off until which time I was able to buy them out, but I was able to get them bought out within just a couple of months. So is this uh, wrong capitalism that you're the, the not right capitalism that you're, that you're referring to? Uh, could that all be changed if we were to take out, in theory, if we were to take out yeah. these shareholder uh, irrational decisions? Absolutely. I, I do believe that it's not practical for every business in America to become a certified B corporation, right? So I don't have that expectation. But today, if you add together certified B corporations um, and uh, benefit corporations that are registered in their states, uh, the legislation behind benefit corporations has now passed in 35 states. Um, That's different than a certified B corp. And a lot of times people get confused between the two of them. Um, but if you added together all of the certified B Corps, the registered benefit corporations, 1% for the planet companies, and then the, uh, the businesses that, that publicly espouse and subscribe to the conscious capitalism uh, mindset, there's about 10,000 of them in the United States today. That's you know, such a tiny, tiny little number. Um, so what, what I believe we have to do is we need to change that tide and get more companies to align with one of those frameworks. Um, you know, I don't, I personally don't care which one it is. If you want to, if you believe in the 1% for the planet model and you want to give 1% of your top line revenue to environmental causes, 
awesome. Go for it. Mm-hmm. But stand for something. Stand for something more than just money in the pocket of the owners. Stand for something that the people in that company and the and the customers at that business can rally about and get and get excited about. And so, uh, as part of all of this, I'm working right now um, on a series of, of, of events and, and training um, called the Do More Good Movement. It's mm. it's my passion right now. It's what I'm spending most of my time focused on, and I'm, we're working directly with. 1% for the planet, which was the grandfather, Yvonne Chouinard of Patagonia founded that organization all the way back in 2002. So that's that's the one that's been around the longest. We're working with them, Conscious Capitalism and the founders of that organization, uh, uh, Jay Cohen Gilbert, the founder of B Labs, um, and then also that President Obama's chief legal counsel during the Obama administration. Uh, she's the one who drafted and, or drove the original legislation behind benefit corporations. So we have all of those people we brought together as part of this do more good movement. And our, our goal is to raise the collective consciousness and the tide um, and pursue something, whatever it is, pursue a path to purpose. Um, and our goal is to get a hundred thousand companies on that path within the next five years. And uh, so we're, 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 we're seed planning uh, training events all over the country right now, trying to make that happen. So is FireSpring uh, working with other organizations to help, when you say help identify their purpose, be purpose driven, yeah. uh, does that require or entail a social or an environmental purpose? Does it have to? No, it does not have to be social or environmental. It can be, okay. um, it can just be um, understanding your why um, and, and, expressing that in a way that other people and collectively can gather and, and deploy their, you know, their, their, their forces together um, to, to help deliver on that. And, but at the bottom line is um, in the, the, again, the tenement, uh, the fundamental aspects of conscious capitalism just refer back to what, yeah. what they refer to as the triple bottom line. So it's got to have some social or environmental impact um, either or, uh, or both. Um, in addition to the, the financial impact. But here, here's the cool thing, Kevin, with all this, and you alluded to this earlier. Companies that are focused on their why as much as they are on their what, and companies that align behind one of these frameworks of purpose that I've just described, um, by far, heads and shoulders, lead their, their peers in terms of profitability. So when, when, a, when an entrepreneur or a founder or a third generation business owner looks at me and says, you know, Jay, you just don't get it. You know, we're, um, you're all this fluffy uh, purpose and passion stuff. That's, you know, we're about the bottom line. We've got to, we've got to, well, if you're, if you're truly about the bottom line, um, figure out how to um, align everyone in your company around a common purpose and a purpose that has with noble outcomes that people want to get behind and support, whether it's, again, uh, something to do with the environment or some social cause, and watch what happens to your profitability. Um, the, the entire book, Firms of Endearment, written by Raj Sasoda, is about that concept. He, he profiles um, the substantial impact that purpose-driven companies have on just bottom line profitability. So if that's what you're concerned about, um, you can you know, let Milton Friedman roll over in his grave. We're okay here. Um, focus on uh, purpose and your profit will increase. Jay, we've been throwing around why a lot. What's your why and why, why are we doing the things that we do? Uh, so the next question I had is what, for yourself, what existential questions have maybe you thought about uh, before you are making decisions? Why, why have an environmental cause? Why have a social purpose? Why does Firespring do the things that they do? You know, I think when, when we all get out of bed in the morning, we've got to have something that we, that we aspire to do, to become, um, you know, to, to affect. And uh, again, as humans, we're all naturally wired to want to make a difference and then to want to be part of something. It's a natural wiring. It's in our DNA. It's not something we have to work to come up with. Um, oh, I, I, I don't care about being connected. Um, you know, we live in the, uh, in the most connected world in history with, you know, mobile devices and other things, but yet um, the Gen Z generation, so 23 years and younger today, um, report that 
um, they are more disconnected and lonely and depressed than any previous generation before them. So we've got this wave of people coming you know, in, into the workforce um, that are getting off on just the absolute wrong foot. Um, they feel disconnected, um, disenfranchised, um, not heard, not seen. And so when I think about the future of business in America and I'm trying to elevate this conversation, that's what I think about. I, you know, I have a daughter that's on the, on the front end of that Gen Z um, group that's coming in, in, into the world and the workforce. And I want her to live in a world and her children to grow up in a world where the people, when they, when they, when they apply themselves to an occupation, a job, um, um, a meaningful function to fulfill their lives, that it, again, it fills them up with energy. It doesn't suck the life right out of them. And prior generations, my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation, that's the way the majority of them worked. Vast majority of them, well, got to put our time in. We're going to put food on the table. Um, and I, I think there's a better way. So I'm motivated by creating a world where these people that are coming into the workforce that are in their teens and early 20s today, as they, um, as they go through this over the next 30, 40 years, that we have a world that fills them up and, and, and lights them up so that they are out creating positive impact and positive change in the world around them that they're inspired to create and to uh and, and to and to carry it forward and to pass that torch it's that ripple effect that um that that, that i get motivated by Jay, i think you're spot on that's definitely a trend uh many business owners are paying attention to i think it was in uh, Larry Fink's letter uh, to BlackRock, he had mentioned uh, millennials are increasingly, uh, or at least they say that the purpose of a business is to have impact versus uh, create a profit, which is very interesting uh, to me when I, when I read that. So there's this paradigm shift coming. Uh, what do you think it's going to take to sustain something like this? Uh, is it is it collaboration? Is it partnerships? Is it leadership? What do you, Jay Wilkinson, think uh, is going to make this uh, change sustain? Well, I, I think it's, uh, it's it's banging the drum and it's getting the word out and it's it's having advocates for change, being vocal and 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 spreading that that seed and spreading the message. And that's one thing that I appreciate so deeply about real leaders. I mean, the work that you guys are doing, and I know you didn't ask me to say this, but I'll just make sure that I'm clear with everybody around there, but uh, the, the, the work that real leaders is doing around just elevating this conversation and just making it part of um, the, 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 the broader messages that we need to hear is so critically important um, because you know, if, if we don't, if we don't hear about it and we don't know what others are doing and we don't have the light shown on positive examples of how people are doing this, um, we're not going to learn. We're not going to, we're not going to have, uh, have the icons that we can follow and we're not going to have the opportunities to understand how to evolve and to make that, make that happen. So, um, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for what real leaders is doing. Um, same with conscious capitalism and what, what Jay and, and the crew at, at B Labs is doing around all of the media properties and raising that awareness. Um, and that, that's exactly why um, the, the nonprofit that I'm working with now, Do More Good, the Do More Good movement, is, is the whole purpose of that movement is to elevate all of these frameworks and to, to just get on the street because that's where we lack the opportunity now is like you think of towns of $30,000 and, and, and or 30,000, 30,000 people or less all across America. Um, you know, they have access to media, they're online, they're, they're, they're reading national news, but going in those communities and leading a workshop with business leaders in that community so that they understand there is another way. There's a path where we can start to develop um, a, an organization here that has deeper engagement with our employees and that has deeper meaning for the people that are working here and that will affect the community and rise the collective tide for all of us. So um, getting feet on the street face to face with small business owners and up um, is the secret and uh, the, the, the only way we're going to be able to get 
um, get movement around this around this important information. So, well, Jay, we appreciate that, and we too uh, can uh, conclude with that reasoning as well. You know, as we were thinking about this list, and you know, we said, well, we don't want to do something that's the fastest growing companies. We don't want to do the the most successful companies. We don't do this. We don't want to do the sexiest moguls uh, out there. We wanted to create a list that highlighted the individuals in the in the companies most importantly that are harnessing capitalism to sustain the people, planet, and profit. We think that's the most important. And when uh, doing some of these marketing initiatives, we felt that the theme of this year's would be, what's what's your story? Uh, what's going to be the story of the Amazon as we have many companies in the Amazon in this on this list? It's a global list this year. Uh, what's going to be the story of fish, the oceans? What's yeah. going to be the story of farm animals? Um, so the, the last question I have for you, Jay, is, is what is going to be the story of Firespring? I think the, the story of Firespring is that it, it, in, in our vision and what we want to do, we want to um, make a tiny dent in, um, in, in, in the universe as it relates to elevating this conversation around business as a force for good. And uh, we're going to continue to support organizations and companies and others that are elevating that and spreading the word and banging the drum. Uh, raising the collective consciousness and uh, our 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 vision long term um, is is 100 years 200 300 years out we're starting to have conversations in the long arc of time about how we can create some ripple effects that will truly uh, begin to create impact and, and lead more companies down this uh, understanding that they need to be on a path to purpose doesn't matter how far you know they are now they they can start moving down that path to purpose and um, everything we're doing today as a company is focused around that. Jay, appreciate your time coming on the uh, Real Years podcast here. We talked about a lot today. We talked about career audibles, uh, some leadership lessons that you learned along the way. Uh, what's good capitalism and what might not be what might be bad capitalism? Uh, how can we improve it and what's going to make it change? Uh, Jay, you said uh, we, we at Firespring bring it every day. Uh, it's a good quality of a leader. So the actual last question I have for you, Jay, and I'm now going to ask you one more. What is your definition of a real leader? Um, a real leader in my mind is a leader that um, where, where no one feels led, where everyone feels inspired to become the best version of themselves um, and collectively build um, something that creates impact on the world. Well said. Well said, Jay. Well, for Jay Wilkinson, the founder and CEO of Firespring, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there and don't just lead people to feel led. Make sure that they don't feel led. And always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Kevin.